Our text is 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13, reading the entire chapter and giving particular attention to the first seven verses, page 1,321 in the Pew Bible, 1,321. 1 Corinthians 13, Though I speak with the tongue of men and angels, but have not love, I have become as sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. Does not have, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will fail. Where there are tongues, they will cease. Where there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now these, and now abide faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. May God bless to us the reading of his word. Beloved of the Lord, 1 Corinthians 13 is a passage that we generally associate with weddings. Some of you may have had it read at your wedding, or the minister may have chosen it for you at your wedding, or included it in the wedding liturgy. It's uh, very common to uh, uh, hold this up as a beautiful picture of love that is also um, reflected in the, the life of the couple who are joining together as husband and wife. But... Uh, If you know anything about Paul's letter to the Corinthians, both his letters to the Corinthians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, you know that uh, they were a troubled church. (laughs) They were a church uh, where there was a lot of dissension, a lot of uh, infighting. And 1st Corinthians 13 is not uh, something warmly sentimental to be used on special occasions, but was a rebuke to the congregation about their lack of love. It's not wrong for us to think about this chapter at times of weddings, but we ought to recognize that that's a derivative application. Its first application is to you and me, the people of God, and how we treat one another, how we live our lives also in the world. What kind of people are we? And uh, so Paul uh, encourages us and admonishes us 
to a life of love. And to do that, he first shows us that there are certain things that are admirable, but if love doesn't accompany them, they are meaningless. He speaks first about uh, giftedness and service and says that if you are very gifted and engage in a great deal of service, whether in the church or in the community or in your family, but you don't have love, then then it's meaningless. If I speak with the tongue of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noising gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. You know, there are a lot of talented people. Talented people in the church. Talented people uh, in the world. Uh, The Apostle Paul himself was a very talented man, both before he became a Christian and after he became a Christian. Before he was a Christian, he was a a scholar and a leader, a man of action, uh, a man on fire for service to his cause, uh, a talented man. And uh, after he became a Christian, he was also a talented man. But he says of himself, if I have all these talents... But I don't have love. I am nothing. He says, uh, uh, we, we might wonder why that is the case. How, how can it be that uh, the use of talent in the church or the use of talent uh, in the community uh, is nothing? Well, it's nothing if it is done for self. If it's, done off, if, if it's not offered up to God, but... Uh, done in uh, pride or self-service, uh, then it is of no good in God's sight. There were those who, uh, there are those who work hard and use their talents and abilities, but they're promoting their own reputation. They're seeking to get a good name for themselves and to prove to others that they're a good person. It can be done to try to convince yourself that you're a good person. You struggle with. Uh, uh, feelings of doubt about yourself, and you you want to prove to yourself that you're worthwhile, and so you work hard, and you use your talents and gifts uh, and accomplish great things. Uh, Absalom, King David's son, was a gifted young man, and he used his talents to steal the hearts of the people and to uh, promote uh, rebellion against his father. Uh, He used his gifts to serve himself, not to serve others. That's what's going on in Corinth. And uh, sadly, it continues to be a a problem uh, in churches today, even among ministers in uh, many denominations, including very orthodox, sound denominations. There are Ministers who have a career path path in mind for themselves, and that that career path always uh, envisions them as the pastor of a uh, ending their career as the pastor of a, a large church, a historic church, a, a church at the hub of the denomination, you know, or some uh, denominational uh, position that uh, has name it gives them name recognition throughout the denomination they they've got this career path in in line for themselves and all their service to the church is designed to 
to promote their career. And uh, if that's true of ministers, it certainly can be true of, uh, of uh, elders and uh, deacons and uh, business owners and uh, all kinds of people who are in the church that are uh, using their t- gifts and talents and abilities, but uh, doing it in a selfish way. He uh, compares such loveless or talented service to a, a gong or a cymbal a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. Uh, I hope there are no percussionists here who uh, take offense at this reference to these fine instruments. Uh, He's not trying to besmirch the instruments themselves, but he's uh, referring to the fact that in his day, much of uh, pagan worship was designed for public show And uh, adherents of uh, the various pagan temples would often have public processions through the streets. And they would uh, bang on uh, cymbals and uh, gongs as they processed through the streets. Uh, I don't know if you've uh, seen uh, religious processions, but uh, even today in in various places around the world, uh, there are religious people who process process through the streets, uh, carrying images, for example, of uh, or icons uh, that they uh, venerate. And uh, usually they, they make a lot of noise. And the purpose of the symbols and gongs in Paul's day was to get the attention of the gods, to wake up the gods and to uh, say, hey, gods, look at us. Look at us making a public profession of our faith. The, the noise would attract uh, onlookers and crowds and that was part of it, too, uh, to show off your faith, but then also to get God's attention and say, uh, God, uh, we are professing our faith publicly before these uh, crowds that have gathered, gathered to, to watch our procession. Uh, so they, uh, they're doing it simply to, to show off, to show off to God, to show off to others. If I have uh, all kinds of faith and, and, and talent and service, but I'm doing it to show off, then it's, it's just like those pagan festivals, and it means nothing, nothing to God. Don't confuse love with giftedness and service. If they are without love, they are nothing. And don't confuse love with upright moral living. Paul says, if I give all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. What's he talking about here? Well, he's talking about virtue. And he's zeroing in on two uh, virtues which were admired in his day both by Christians and non-Christians alike. Uh, there was an ancient uh, tradition among the Greek philosophers about virtue. They, they wrote a lot about virtue. And two of the great virtues were to uh, have compassion on the poor and give to the poor, to uh, Share what you have with the poor. And the other was a willingness to to die for the cause, to to put your life in danger, to put yourself in harm's way, to be willing to stand up for what you believe in, even if it would result in persecution, even if it might uh, result in death. Those were great virtues, generosity to the poor and uh, the courage of your convictions, uh, a willingness to... to, uh, Hold to your convictions, even if it might cost you your life. Paul says that without love, such behavior gains nothing. It has no value. 
And again, it's for the same reason. There are people who uh, are giving away their their money. Uh, uh, the J.D. Rockefeller and uh, the first one of the world's greatest men, uh, wealthiest men in his day, uh, probably wealthier uh, than uh, some of the wealthiest men in the world today. If you uh, uh, compare the the value of the dollar then and the value of the dollar now. Uh, J.D. Rockefeller and his his son, uh, between the two of them, gave away over a billion dollars. Um, and they were great philanthropists, and there continue to be great philanthropists in the world who are not motivated by Christian conviction or by love, but by a, a desire to... Uh, redeem their rep- reputation, to uh, prove to the world that they are good people, even though they're uh, businessmen who earn money and uh, uh, such are often demonized by the press as being uh, greedy people and so forth. Uh, maybe people who earn their money in the stock market, and uh, uh, that always uh, has a, a bad connotation to it uh, in the eyes of uh, some. And so uh, they well, we've got to donate money. And so they donate money to all kinds of causes, including religious causes, but they're doing it for themselves. And and as far as people who are willing to stand up for their convictions, well, uh, again, uh, there have been some great uh, military leaders in the history of the world who uh, often put their lives in danger by leading the troops into battle. But they were doing it for the glory. They were doing it for their for vain glory. They were doing it to to promote themselves. Uh, they were uh, in love with themselves, and uh, they thought they were impervious to danger. But they 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 charged in there and put their lives at risk because they were promoting themselves. And uh, you know, they uh, there are many people who are willing to risk their lives out of fear. You know, the God of Islam is Islam is not a very forgiving or gracious God. His followers are very much afraid of him, and uh, there's only one sure way of, of obtaining his favor and gaining a heavenly reward, a p- place in, in paradise, and that's by being a martyr for the faith. And so you have many uh, Muslims uh, uh, willing to to give up their lives, to sacrifice their lives in order to gain a place in paradise. And they do it not out of love, but they do it out of fear. And so uh, Paul says, you know, if I have these virtues, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. Well, if it's an act of pride, a self-promotion, vainglory, we're not loving well, then, how can we become loving people? Well, the answer lies in taking note of how the Apostle Paul defines love. He doesn't define it by giving you and me a list of rules and saying, okay, if you want to be a loving person, this is what you have to do. You know, you, you need to be patient. You need to be kind. You, don't, you shouldn't envy. You shouldn't be arrogant or rude. You shouldn't insist on your own way. Uh, do this. Don't do that. Do this. Don't do that. That's not how he does it. That's not how he defines love. Uh, rather, he says, love is. Love is. And then describes 
personal characteristics. And you can see that if, if, if you just do a little uh, rearranging of the words. Take out the word love and, and put somebody's name there. Uh, John Doe is patient. Mary Smith is kind, you know. You see there that he's defining this in a way that it can, it's, it's a, a list of, of personal characteristics. Uh, love is, is a power inside people that expresses itself in the way they live, in the characteristics of their lives. Well, the big question here is, can you substitute your name in this list and say, I am like that. I am patient. I am kind. I am never arrogant. I'm never rude. I never insist on my own way. I'm never irritable. I'm never rude. I'm always rejoicing in, in what's uh, true and good and right. And I, I bear all things. I believe all things. I hope all things. I endure all things. I never quit. I never give up. That's me to, to, in a nutshell. That's, that's, that describes me to a T. Is that true? Well, I hope you're honest enough to recognize that there's not one person here who lives up to this. None of us are like this. So how? How can we become like that? Well, there's, there's a basic principle of human psychology, and I don't think you have to be a psychologist or a psychiatrist to understand it. And that is that our ability to love... Our ability to love is to a great extent, not entirely, but to a great extent, dependent on our experience of being loved. We know that uh, children that were raised in orphanages where they received minimal handling by the staff uh, as babies, uh, often they didn't. They didn't thrive. They didn't even survive. And, and those who did survive grew up with uh, psychological problems because little babies need to be handled. They need to be touched. They need to be cuddled. They need to be kissed. Uh, uh, they need to be cooed to and, and uh, talk baby talk to. And they, they need an experience of love. If they're to, to thrive at physically and emotionally, they need to be loved. And, and not just babies, but younger children and even as adolescents and, and adults, we, we need love. And it's, it's because we have been loved <laughs> that we are able to, to give love. Now, there are tragic cases where some children are raised in very unloving homes, and, and yeah, they, they can have big problems when they grow up, although the grace of God can uh, compensate for that and help them also. But uh, to a great extent, our ability to love is based on our experience of love. And here's where Paul's definition of, of love really comes in handy, because there is love for us that is like this. Uh, Jesus, Jesus is patient, Jesus is kind, Jesus doesn't envy, Jesus doesn't boast, he's not arrogant or rude, he doesn't insist on his own way, he's not irrib- uh, he doesn't uh, rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth, he bears all things, he believes all things, he hopes all things, he endures all things, and his love never fails. 
You know, the most loving human being in this life, aside from Jesus, their love always fails. When you die, you don't love anymore. And the people who you used to love don't experience your love anymore. As far as the recipients of your love are concerned, when you die, your love fails. But Jesus Jesus could say to the thief on the cross just before both of them died, today you will be with me in paradise. Not even death can stop Jesus from loving people. His love never fails. And if you if you experience the love of Jesus Christ, that experience of love transforms you and enables you to begin to love as a person who is patient and kind and not irritable and not rude and who rejoices in the truth and, and whose love perseveres. His love is a transforming love. His love is a love that empowers us and enables us to love. We know that He loved us because He died for us. We come to the table of the Lord to have a physical, visible reminder that Jesus loves His people, that all who believe in Him are indeed loved with a perfect love, and because we have been loved with a perfect love, we can begin to love in the way that God wants us to love and to offer up our talents and our gifts, not for self, but for God's glory, out of love for Him and love for Christ. And display our virtues, not for self and vain glory, but to uh, practice virtue out of love and gratitude for all that Jesus has done for us. So as you come to the Lord's table today, remember that you have been loved with a perfect love, a love personified in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have this picture of perfect love, a love that we have never obtained in our own lives, but which Christ indeed has practiced. And because he has loved this kind of love, and we are the object of that love, we thank you that we too can be transformed by that love and begin to love as we have been loved, forgive as we have been forgiven and uh, give glory to you as Christ gave glory to you. Oh, hear us and answer us, we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.